Good morning, everyone. God bless you. So good to be together, and uh, I've, of course, uh, prayed over this word. I pray that I've prayed that you will receive some nugget uh, that you can keep for a lifetime. It will stay in your mind, hopefully, as a good, like a good pebble in your shoe. And uh, I'm grateful for the assurance that the Word says it doesn't return void and that it's living and active and uh, sharp. I have a handout here on Ben Franklin, which I want to be sure and mention uh, when I get to that part of the message. Uh, please remember that there's a handout here. Sometimes I forget to mention something, and I didn't want to forget that. So if you would open your Bible, if you have one, or your phone or tablet to Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. Matthew 5, starting in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In order that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain both on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even tax gatherers do the same. And if you greet your brothers only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I want to key in on that last verse. Uh, Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Laura and I, over the years, have grown more and more irritated uh, at the buzzwords and phrases that bubble up in our culture at any given point in time. I remember first becoming aware of this, uh, I don't know how long ago it was, many, many years, when on the TV, newscasters and politicians would, would say, well, it is what it is. Remember that? Remember those years? It is what it is. Or let me be perfectly clear. That, that one's still, still around. Uh, the one that bothers me the most from those areas, though, is at the end of the day. At the end of the day. If you watch a lot of news, you will hear that phrase on both sides uh, over and over until you become sick. Back when Esther was in college, um, we would sit down to have a discussion, some kind of world issue, and Esther and her friends used the, um, you know, we would present facts, and they would say, well, in my journey, I, you know, it was all about this journey they were on. I didn't see that they were on any journey, but they insisted they were on a journey, And while they were on that journey, they were processing, processing this and that. I see some of you nodding your heads. And then there was the one we have mentioned from the pulpit before, where everything was awesome. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. And and, uh, now, the current buzzword is the word perfect. Have you noticed that? If you are out on the street, at the gas station, uh, at any drive, drive-through food place, you are likely to hear the word perfect th- at least three times. When you order at the drive-through, the person will often, after you give them the, your order, they will often say perfect. Then you'll drive up to the first window and present your money, and that person will give you the change and say perfect. And then you'll get your food, and the person reassures you everything's perfect. And uh, 
So that's the word. Perfect is the new awesome. And as Jim Garrett has been so faithful to remind us, there is only one who is awesome. And there is only one who is perfect. Amen? In any case, as we read this verse, a verse like verse 48, therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, we get a little uncomfortable. We're not quite sure if the Lord really means perfect there. Now, often we're trained to um, translate that as maturity or mature. And yet that doesn't seem to ring true, at least in this verse. Therefore, you are to be mature as your heavenly Father is mature. I don't think of God as being mature. Uh, I think of him as perfect. And so we end up a little confused. Um, In fact, that verse, verse 48, is one of the verses that is dealt with by F.F. Bruce in this book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. And uh, it's a fascinating book where he uses his biblical scholarship to talk about difficult verses to understand. I decided to study deeply what this word that's translated in our Bibles, perfect, means in the Greek, and try to discover behind it how the Bible uses this word. And here's what I found whenever the Bible is speaking about us. The word perfect in the Bible never means, when, in, when referring to us, that we are going to achieve a state in this life of being flawless or faultless or without sin, pristine, without a single blemish or without any defect. But on the right side, you see what it does mean. It means fully grown or mature in some passages, complete or a completed work. You might, we'll be reading some verses about um, the Lord making us complete. It can mean finished or a finished work. It can mean fully trained or at full stature, uh, like Ephesians 4.13. It can mean to have been brought through to the end uh, or fully accomplished. In any case, I discovered that there is a call in Scripture to be perfected. Whatever that means, and we will explore that, there is a call in the Scriptures to be perfected. Now, let me clarify, I'm not talking about a sinless perfectionism like there's been taught, has been taught in some streams of Christianity. But in the sense of the second column of meanings, we will see that we are to pursue, to press on, to be purified and cleansed, and be in the process of being made perfect willingly, consciously, choosing to cooperate with the work of the Holy Spirit as he makes us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. So here are a couple of verses to get started, a couple of examples. I mentioned Ephesians 4.13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature, uh, and that's the word that is sometimes translated perfect, uh, man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Here's another one. Colossians 1.28, and we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete, fully equipped, finished, perfect in Christ. I know that you agree with me that there is only one who is perfect, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The Bible says that if we Say we have no sin, we make God a liar, and the truth isn't in us. And I know you agree with me that this perfect one is on the loose 
within us. We're being changed from the inside out, aren't we? Thank God that it's His power at work in us that changes us even as we choose to cooperate with Him. Paul says this is the mystery of the Gospel. Christ in us, the what? The hope of glory. Yes. And this perfect one is perfecting us. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in Dallas Bros will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Philippians 2.13, For God is at work in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. And then 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit of God. There's a lot of uh, pairing of this notion of God in us and glory. And we'll see that as we continue on. Even with all these, this encouragement from the Scriptures, I'm afraid that even as believers, most of us here and everywhere have a kind of subconscious or subterranean belief that God can only take us so far. He can only clean up Jim Grinnell to a certain extent. Uh, because we know that we have sin within us. And we know our sins, don't we? We know in those areas that we fail over and over and over again. And so this idea gets embedded within us. If the truth really be told, at certain times we even admit to ourselves as we're trying to repent that we want to sin that we, will want, we know we will want to sin again in the future. I want to say, couldn't we decide together to shed this false belief and agree with the Scriptures that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. Hallelujah! According to His mighty power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, we read in Ephesians 3. One area that I have struggled with, on the, not so much on the sinful side, but on the uh, preaching the gospel side is, is the area of evangelism. It's, it's always been difficult for me uh, to share my faith as effectively as I picture I should be able to in my mind. Uh, we have a couple carpenters working on our house right now. Uh, one is named Joe and the other is named Mike. And I really like these guys and I, I feel like they like me and uh, we tease each other. We've, uh, I, I tease Joe that he should be a country western singer because he's got this smoky, gravelly voice you know, that, uh, that could just be wonderful if he can carry a tune. He's never tried to sing for me, but uh, he laughs and goes back to work. And, and uh, Mike, I hear Mike, I hear the music that they're playing in the other part of the house, and he's got the best taste in rock and roll. Uh, Green-Eyed Lady comes through the, through the air and I asked him to make me a list of his 10 or 20 favorite rock and roll songs, and uh, I haven't gotten the list yet. But anyway, I was uh, working on this sermon on Friday morning, and, and uh, I guess it was about early afternoon, actually, and I had a little breakthrough in evangelism where Mike called me in, and, and we were discussing something they were working on, and then since I hadn't been out and about, I'd been cloistered in my office, he he accused me of not working very hard that day. And I said, wait a minute. I've, I've been in sermonizing and I'm all amped up on the Lord. And I, I grabbed them both around the shoulders and I said, do you know that 
the Lord loves you. And the magic of the Gospel is that we don't have to work our way to heaven. That He comes inside us and changes us from the inside out. And they were, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and we proceeded to have a great talk about uh, the Lord for about a half hour. And uh, it just felt like the Spirit fell in a way and it was natural it wasn't forced and i'm so it was a breakthrough and so the lord can do exceedingly more than we can ask or think so we press on as i continued in the study i came to realize that the word or words that describe or are translated perfect in the scriptures really are clustered around three areas. And those three areas are being perfected in holiness, being perfected in faith, and uh, being perfected in love. Holiness, faith, and love. But first I want to look at a beautiful little verse. It's the last verse of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians 6.24. And it says, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. I've always loved that verse. Always wanted to have that incorruptible um, love for the Lord. Incorruptible means um, sincere, genuine, uh, undiminishable. That's actually a word. Uh, it can't be eroded, it can't be corrupted. And uh, I thought of this verse when I was up at the cabin this summer, and, uh, well, actually, let me back up. I, I, we, our TV kept freezing. We have cable TV, and so there's cables running all around, and, and uh, our, our main TV kept freezing, on us, and we put up with it, and put up with it, and put up with it, and finally, in the early summer, we decided to get it fixed, so I called DirecTV, and of course, when you call DirecTV, you're on the phone for about an hour, and they want to march you through, have you checked the connections, are you sure they're tight, and uh, yes, 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 Uh, and then, so they sent out a, a workman, and he concluded that, that my connections weren't as tight as they needed to be. And uh, he went away, and TV's still freezing. Second guy comes, another hour on the phone, and uh, he, he just started replacing parts everywhere. <laughs> and, well, that's, that might work, and he leaves. He leaves, and uh, still freezing. Third guy comes, and uh, what did he say? I can't remember, but didn't work. TV kept freezing. I went up to the cabin, but had scheduled a fourth guy to come out. And uh, by this time, I'm pretty fed up with, you know, technicians who don't really find the problem. They're just guessing. Um, And uh, so I'm up there, and Laura calls me, and she sends me a picture similar to this of a coaxial cable that the squirrels had chewed through. It, it was lying on the ground, and the squirrels had made a mess of it. It was just just one wire, uh, and all the surrounding material was gone. And um, I made Laura put the technician on the phone, and uh, because she said he says he says the wire has been corrupted, and I said corrupted, yes, it's been corrupted, and I said well. I want to make sure that's really the problem. Get the guy on the phone, and he didn't want to come to the phone and talk to me, but he did, and he said, it's corrupted. I said, it's corrupted? Yes, it's corrupted. And I realized that this was kind of a, I was entering the jargon of the technical world, you know, corrupted. And uh, I really liked that, you know, corrupted. So that reminded me of this verse. Uh not being corrupted, incorruptible. I want to be a clear channel that the Holy Spirit can power through. 
I used to work, you guys know I used to work with sex-addicted men, Christian men, who on the one hand they had this habitual sin, and on the other hand they loved the Lord, and they wanted the Lord to deliver them. And we would talk about motives to overcome this sin habit, and you know, none of them, well, the deepest motive that they all came to was the desire to be a clear channel for the Holy Spirit. They didn't want to feel corrupted uh, and be corrupted when the Lord wanted to use them. And uh, so, powerful verse about incorruption. Well, to not be corrupted, to, to be that clear channel, there has to be something going on beyond human willpower. There has to be something under the surface, a spiritual process that is causing one to be in a state of incorruptibility. And I believe that process, knowingly or unknowingly, is that the believer has answered the call to be perfected in holiness and perfected in faith and perfected in love. Here's a visual picture of what I'm suggesting. Above the water, of you see the tip of the iceberg, this beautiful iceberg that we will label incorruptible. But under the surface, you see this other process going on of being perfected in holiness, faith, and love. So let's take a look at each one of these in turn. First of all, being perfected in holiness. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 7.1. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit. And then this phrase, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Isn't that a powerful phrase? And I want you to notice that it's not saying that God is the one perfecting holiness in this verse. The burden seems to be on us, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Let's see if that holds true in in other verses. Then we have Psalm 24, 3 through 5. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully. He shall receive a blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That same call to purity of heart is in the next verse, James 4.8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You know, I want because I love you, I, I wanted to soften that verse a little bit. But I found it just wasn't able to be softened. I looked at all the different Bible translations, and it says what it says. It is what it is. And then we have Hebrews 12:14. This is a great verse. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. In Ma- earlier in Matthew 5 we read that it's the pure in heart that will see God. And so there is this call to be perfected. And I want you to notice The action verbs here are purify, cleanse, pursue, perfecting, and that we are the actors in these verses. So it is encouraging us, exhorting us, commanding us to work with the Holy Spirit, exerting our will in our fight against sin. Leviticus 19.2, way back in Leviticus when God was establishing his people, Israel for himself, He demanded that they be holy as he is holy. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to all the congregation of the sons of Israel and say to them, 
you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. And the Apostle Peter uh, picked up this theme in chapter 1 of his first epistle, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, and it says this, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Isn't it amazing again that the burden is upon us to be holy in our behavior? Um, here's a picture of Ben Franklin. Ben Franklin was one of the greatest persons that America has ever produced. He uh, only had two years of formal schooling, and that was before the age of 10. And yet, he went on to become a writer, a printer, a philosopher, a politician, a postmaster, general, an inventor, a scientist, a humorist. He was part of the Committee of Five that drafted the Declaration of Independence. Uh, he founded Philadelphia's first fire department as well as the University of Pennsylvania and was America's first ambassador to France. A writer, Walter Isaacson, said of him, he was the most accomplished American of his age and the most influential in, in inventing the type of society America would become. Wikipedia said that he is considered a polymath. I'd never heard of that word. Anybody know what that is? A polymath. It means someone with a wide span of knowledge in a substantial number of subjects who draws on complex bodies of knowledge to solve specific problems. Well, the question I would ask about Benjamin Franklin is this. How hard did he work with all his accomplishments? How hard, how diligently was he working on himself? How focused was he on truth and virtues and developing moral character within himself? And the answer is he worked very hard. One writer said the key to his success was his drive to constantly improve himself mentally, professionally, and morally. And here's some evidence to support that. Now, I know you can't see that completely, but this is a list of what are called his 13 virtues. He carried around in his pocket a little book or booklet where he listed along the left-hand column 13 virtues that he considered uh, worth striving for. And, and then in the right-hand part, he um, listed the days of the week. And so at the end of each day, he would look over the 13 virtues that he had resolved to pursue and uh, put, a, put a dot near the ones where he had failed or in the day that he felt, felt he had failed. And you can see maybe that uh, some of his virtues were temperance, silence, order, resolution, frugality, industry, sincerity, justice, moderation, cleanliness, chastity, tranquility, and humility. For example, under temperance, he said, eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Under silence, speak not but what may benefit others or yourself, avoid trifling conversation. And then I like a resolution. He says, resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. How many of you have made a, res a resolution? And then a few days later, or maybe the next day, ah, I don't really need to do that today. I've been pretty good. Um, so anyway, my point is, is that Ben Franklin 
worked very hard on himself. And I think the reason he chose 13 was he could uh, focus on one per week four times a year. 13 times four is 52. We have, there is a call to be perfected. And I do want to mention the handouts here uh, where you can uh, get the left-hand side of this slide for yourself. We are to be perfected in holiness by our own efforts along with the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So let's look at the next one, perfected in faith. Uh, let's look at this verse from Hebrews 12. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith. Here's the burden is on the Lord and his spirit. 1 Peter 5.10 says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will perfect you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you. The word says that our faith is more precious than gold. 1 Peter 1.7, Your faith being more precious than gold, even though tested by fire, will be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then it's fascinating that even Jesus had to go through some kind of a perfecting process. Have you ever noticed that in Hebrews? Uh, Hebrews uh, 2, uh, let me turn there. Hebrews 2.10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And then one page further, uh, verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 9, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of of eternal salvation. This is a picture of Bjorn Ironside. Uh, actually, not the real guy, but an actor. Uh, this actor's name is Alexander Ludwig. Uh, Laura and I have been enjoying uh, the series The Vikings on TV. And uh, Bjorn, uh, when the story begins, Bjorn is a small boy living with his mother and father. And then the mother goes away and takes Bjorn with him when Bjorn is maybe seven, eight, nine, something like that. And around 17 or so, Bjorn and his mother return to, their fa to uh, Bjorn's father. And Bjorn is, is anxious to prove himself in battle. He's been training hard. He's been away from his father. He really wants to show his father that he can fight. And so they go to their first battle. And uh, after the battle, he's, he's standing between his uncle on the left and his dad on the right. And the uncle says, you fought well today, Bjorn. And Bjorn says, thank you, uncle. And then uh, the father looks at him very sternly and says, you have a lot to learn. Because in the battle, he had been knocked to, on his back and had to fight his way back up to his feet. Let me show you this, this scene that we're looking at right now. Let me show you it live. The, um, uh, the uncle and Bjorn talk pretty quietly, so I want you to know what they're saying. But I want you to notice the father's face uh, when he tells his son, you have a lot to learn. Football today, Bia. Thank you, Uncle. You have a lot to learn. Something about the face of that father, the sternness, 
and the seriousness, you have a lot to learn. And how many of us go through battles of faith uh, and we think we, we've just fought it as hard as we can, we're, we're laid out on the battlefield, and somehow we discover that the Father is saying, you have a lot to learn. You have a lot to learn. Can anybody relate to that? Pouring it out, and then you get this message, you have a lot to learn. Well, Bjorn keeps fighting. Uh, Here's a couple scenes, uh, still as a young man and then a, as a little older man. At one point in his journey, he, um, he decides to go out into the uh, winter wilderness and see if he can survive. Uh, his father says, I don't think you'll survive. And why are you going? And he said, I'm going because you don't think I can survive. And so he he wanted, again, to prove himself to his father, but also to leave the shadow of his father and become his own man. And while he's in the wilderness, he fights a bear. Now, this is a real bear, uh, and it's a, it's a bear that's been trained for TV and movies, and the bear's name is Whopper. <laughs> Isn't that a great name? How many of you would like a bear named Whopper? Uh, actually... I read a little further, and this actor said that there were actually two bears that were used in this scene. One was Whopper, and the other was Ursula. And he said Ursula was a, a little more feisty than Whopper. And uh, Laura and I laughed at that together. Um, apparently, they're trained by stringing an electrical wire between two points, and then the bear learns that, that if he sees that wire to go up like this and look fierce because in the past he's been shocked by this this wire and so the only thing between Bjorn and this bear is a clothesline in this scene he said it was pretty pretty exciting his his adrenaline got going I was I was saying that to Laura and she said do you think they declaw these thing these bears or they just feed them really well <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny and then I thought, has she declawed me by feeding me really well? <laughs> anyway, I'm getting way off topic. Uh, so here's Bjorn as a full-grown man. Now his father has dubbed him Bjorn Ironside because he says neither axe nor sword nor knife can kill him. A legend grew that he could not be killed. So this is, even though this is played by an actor, he was a historical figure of, of great fame. Now why would I use uh, this Viking illustration to talk about faith and being perfected in faith? And the answer is this, because faith is a fight. Paul said, fight the good fight of faith. Amen? And what that means is, no matter what happens, you get knocked down, you get back up. You get wounded, you get back up. You're disciplined by the Lord, but you turn into the Lord again and again and again. And you bear your scars, but you press on. And you pursue the Lord, and you press on. Um, there's a verse in Proverbs that says, Turn into my reproof, and I will pour my Spirit out upon you. We read also where Paul said, Not that I have already attained it or have already become perfect, but I press on. Reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. I think in this case, mature, uh, fully grown, fully trained, those kinds of meanings are there embedded in that verse. We continue to fight what Bill taught us some sermons ago, some years ago, is called the beautiful fight. Always knowing we still have a lot to learn. We still have a lot to learn. Amen? 
And then we're called to be perfected in love. Again, I'm not just pulling these out of a hat. The, the uh, places where this word is used, are, it's clustered around these three uh, spiritual realities. So the first slide, whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. First John is all about being perfected in God's love. I'm going to read uh, for you 1 John 4. 11 through 17, and I want you to uh, listen for the connection between the word perfect and love and see how many times it crops up. The old apostle writes, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has beheld God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have beheld and bear witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. And whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. We've come to know and believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. And then, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, we know that chapter, the last verse, so abideth these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. So there's a preeminence about love in the scriptures. And then I really want you to notice this verse, 1 Timothy 1, verse 5. This is a verse that sums up Paul's mindset about leading others and discipling others into fullness in Christ. He says this, but the goal of our instruction is what? Love from a pure heart. There's holiness and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So all three elements, holiness, faith, and love are in that verse. That's a great verse to have in your mind and to know where it is. Wow, what a verse. Highlighting all three areas. I want to say a word about marriage. Uh, When in a decent marriage or an average marriage, there is behind the scenes there is a sense that between the two partners that uh, I will meet your needs and love you to the extent that you meet my needs and love me. But if, I, if the weight of my love starts to dip down too far, I'm going to start to feel used. So I'm going to pull it back and we're going to keep it in balance. Um, it's not spoken but it's there and it's based on fear. The fear is is that if I just abandon myself to loving you, I'll end up on the cross like Jesus. I'll end up giving and giving and giving and you won't uh, reciprocate. And then you'll be trained that, you know, that this is the way it is. And so we hold back. That's, that's in the decent or average marriage. In a great marriage, though, one or both partners decides, uh, I will not be afraid, and I will love you uh, no matter if the love I get in return is equal. I'm going to keep loving you. 
And I'm going to trust God that he'll meet my needs if you don't. Uh, But it takes a conscious decision to say, I'm not going to walk in fear anymore. Perfect love casts out fear, right? But then there are even marriages that are um, beyond that. Um, I want to go back to the great marriage, though. Shirley McWilliams once poked her head into my office after I had preached, and she said, I read a great quote that I want to share with you, and it's stuck with me ever since, and that is this. She said, don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. Don't be afraid to be the one who loves the most. And so you can think about your relationships, not just marriage, but other relationships, and Are you willing to cast off fear about not receiving as much love as you get and be that agent of change, be that one who trusts in the Lord? Hallelujah. But then there are marriages that even go beyond that and uh, demonstrate the awesome, beautiful love of God where love is poured out and expecting nothing in return. This is a a story by Dr. Ed Wheat. He's an author who wrote Intended for Pleasure and Love Life, and he says this. My phone's going off. Joel, would you turn that? It's in one of those pockets. Okay, here we go. A man loved his wife tenderly and steadfastly for a total of 15 years without any responding love on her part. There could be no response, for she had developed cerebral arteriosclerosis, the chronic brain syndrome. At the onset of the disease, she was a pretty, vivacious lady of 60 who looked at least 10 years younger. In the beginning, she experienced intermittent times of confusion, But as the disease progressed, she gradually lost all her mental faculties and did not even recognize her husband. He took care of her at home by himself for the first five years. During that time, he often took her for visits, she looking her prettiest, although she had no idea where she was, and he proudly displaying her as his wife, introducing her to everyone even though her remarks were apt to be inappropriate to the conversation. He never made an apology for her. He never indicated that there was anything wrong with what she had just said. He always treated her with the utmost courtesy. He showered her with love and attention no matter what she did or said. The time came when the doctor said she had to go into a nursing home for intensive care. She lived there for 10 years, part of that time, bedfast with arthritis. And he was with her daily. He never made a negative comment about her. Uh, He did not begrudge the large amount of money required to keep her in the home all those years, never even hinted that it might be a problem. In fact, he never complained about any detail of her care throughout the long illness. This man was loyal, always true to his wife, even though his love had no response for 15 years. I can speak of this case with intimate knowledge, for these people were my own wonderful parents. What a father taught me about agape love through this example, I can never forget. This is from Clay Sterrett's book, Growing Old in the Grace of God. Well, what is all this perfecting for as we come to a conclusion? I meant for this to be the slide that we were viewing while I read that story. The scriptures talk about being perfected for glory, for glory, for glory, for glory. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 5.1, we read this, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with heavens, Uh, with hands, eternal in the heavens. I want to read one more paragraph from this book. It's a 
It's about John Quincy Adams. The story is told of John Quincy Adams, who when he was 80 years old was met by an old friend. This friend shook President Adams' trembling hand and said, Good morning, sir. How is John Quincy Adams today? President Adams looked at him for a moment and said this, John Quincy Adams himself is quite well, sir, but the house in which he lives at present is becoming dilapidated. It's tottering upon its foundations. Time and the seasons have almost destroyed it. Its roof is worn out. Its walls are much shattered, and it crumbles with every wind. The old tenement is becoming almost uninhabitable, and I think that John Quincy Adams will have to move out of it soon. But he himself, sir, is quite well. Isn't that great? This is the verse about the exceeding glory awaiting us. That is, uh, the way that that is emphasized is called the eternal weight of glory. And Paul writes this, Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God. Therefore we do not lose heart, for though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we've seen today that there is a call to be perfected. A call to be perfected in holiness. A call to be perfected in faith. And a call to be perfected in love. And so I want to end with this question. Are you answering that call? Are you cooperating with the leading of the Holy Spirit to be uh, made to, to participate in this below-the-surface uh, process that He has going on in your mind, in your heart, in your soul. If you say yes to that question, I want to end by saying to you, along with the Apostle Paul, grace be to you who loves our Lord Jesus Christ with a love incorruptible. God bless you.